the bannerman this is episode 21 and today we become old enough to drink and if the nhl playoffs keep going the way they are we're gonna need a ton of booze to subdue the anguish how are you today vardy i'm good buddy i'm happy to be here in the uh honorary tony granado episode episode 21 uh the first episode of our second off season as a bannerman almost coming up on our uh, one-year anniversary here soon guys it's pretty exciting, man. Um, we got to throw some kind of party where it's just me and you, maybe <laughs> on a podcast, partying it up. Um, first thing before we get started today, guys, we want to touch on last episode, kind of a errors and corrections moment uh, for us. We talked about Slava Voinov, um, begrudgingly. We covered that topic. I don't think we were very excited to do so. And one thing we did say incorrectly was that his charges were dropped and i want to thank ellie on facebook who contacted me and let me know that that was an oversight on our part the charges were not dropped uh in fact voinov pled no contest which is in a court of law almost admitting guilt uh without admitting guilt so we just wanted to clear that up it's such a sensitive topic vardy it's such a kind of an issue where you have to tiptoe around that we felt that we should probably address that. Yeah. And I think, I think beyond that, you know, we, we do our best to get our facts right. I think, you know, we're, we're not, um, employees of the team or anything. I mean, we're fans and, but we're, we're trying to be as accurate as possible. And I think it's worth mentioning if we get something wrong and we don't take any offense to it. We appreciate any conversation that that people are willing to start with us, whether to correct us or to just express frustration with our opinions or just tell us that we think we're stupid. Not that she did that. In fact, um, she approached us very, very respectfully and uh, educated us a bit. And we we were always welcome to that because, you know, we're human. We're trying to do something here that's fun but again occasionally we will touch on serious conversations and if we get something wrong we're more than open to criticism and corrections so thank you for that yes um with that out of the way uh thank you for listening ellie and we always welcome your feedback back to my opener um and all that alcohol reference i made uh, references to alcohol mm. i made you know it's connected to the vegas golden knights once a terrific and uplifting story, but now bordering on nightmare territory, Vardy, because they are seven wins away from a Stanley Cup. They're in the conference final against Winnipeg, and um, this is going to be an interesting topic, and I really want to broach this with you, Vardy, because there's a lot of elements to this Vegas story. Like I said, once a good story, a story that everyone can point to, and feel good about <laughs> but if you're a fan in the nhl whose team has suffered and suffered and suffered granted we are no longer those fans because the kings did recently climb the mountain twice but if you are say a st louis blues fan for example mm. you can't be feeling fan, good for that matter <laughs> right you can't be feeling good about what's happening with vegas here um and, and that's a topic i want to touch on because it is so fascinating so let me just lead with a question, Vardy. Is this success, this level of success from Vegas, 
good or bad for the NHL? As a fan, let's say you're a basketball fan and mm-hmm. you hear the story that the Vegas Golden Knights say won the Stanley Cup in 2018. Mm-hmm. What does that make you feel about the game of hockey and the NHL? I, I honestly don't know. It's very strange. Like, I, I think if I knew nothing about hockey and I heard that a team that just came into the league and I'm used to expansion teams and all other sports basically struggling, and now a team that comes in in their first season and wins a cup, if that nightmare scenario actually happened, as you called it, um, I don't know if I was as a casual fan – if I, if it would make me excited necessarily to watch the game, it would make me kind of question just what the hell is going on with the rest of the teams in the league, I think. And maybe, maybe you think hockey is a lot easier than everyone think you know, than we think it is. Um, yeah, I don't know if it like as a casual fan, unless I was living in the Vegas area and, you know, didn't have really anything else to root for. And, you know, I've been clamoring to have any type of professional team for some time now. And then, you have one kind of come along and be successful. I don't know if it would draw me to the game necessarily. I think as a, as if you're a remote hockey fan, like you said of St. Louis or Toronto or any one of these teams that are kind of long suffering and they've gone through builds and rebuilds and reboots and rewinds and, you know, whatever else you re, you want to think Rihanna's and whatever else you want to go through. Um, I think it just, you sit there and you're like, what am I missing? What is what has my team been doing wrong? Because there was an era in the NHL, I think, where you could just buy a great team. You could just pay people. And, you know, I think that's when Detroit did very well. Not to say that they didn't draft well, but like that was the era where Detroit was just picking up a new Hall of Fame free agent every offseason and just keeping the keeping the energy going. But you know what's crazy? Even that didn't work. It, like, it, it didn't worked, it worked because the Rangers tried it. The Rangers <laughs> yeah. tried it. The Leafs tried it in the early 2000s when they loaded up yeah. with like New and Dyke Roberts, all those guys. They tried. Yeah. It, people did try to buy the Stanley Cup. And yes, it worked, let's say, for Detroit in 02 or yeah, Detroit in 02, Colorado 01. Probably the last two teams where you could say, okay, they just loaded up and won the Stanley Cup. Um, but it just, it, even that doesn't work. And it's so hard. And I know it's so hard to win the Stanley Cup because we see the the margin of error is so slim. Everything has to be going right for you. And it's absolutely bonkers that everything seems to be going right for an expansion team. I mean, it's it's bonkers on another level, right? Like to me it was crazy when the Kings won in 2012 the way they did. Like that right. was like everything went right for them and to the point where had they not won in 2014, I would have maybe thought, man, was that just a magical fluke kind of run that we like went all the way and just everything went right? But the 2014 Cup basically solidified the fact that no, we're a good team and all this stuff. But Vegas now is not built like those teams. So they may go all the way this year and they they have the potential to like miss the playoffs next year. They really do. And I'm not saying I think it's going to happen, but... You look at the roster again, and you're still saying, okay, something's not adding up. Like, something is not... See, I, I, think, I think that's where I disagree with you, man. Like, I think now, you know, I think I'd be hard-pressed to look at the evidence in front of me and and to not look at it, you know, go back and play Monday morning quarterback and look at the expansion draft and look at these 
players that they got. And aside from the, from maybe the defense, that's still a bunch of second pairing guys, in my opinion. I mean, you look at those forwards and they got decent forwards and they got a bunch of guys who have outperformed now. If they, you know, maybe Carlson doesn't come back and play quite as well as he did, but I, I don't know. I mean, I think everyone else has kind of been close to where they've peaked. You know what I mean? Like Riley Smith and Marsh or so like those guys are playing at a level that we've seen them play before. Maybe sure. they didn't play that way quite the way the season prior to them becoming golden Knights, but like they clearly played at that level before, uh, you know, James Neal Perron. These are guys who they're established players who've been able to do that. And if anything, I think, it worries me from the perspective of the standpoint of someone who's an, a fan of a, another Pacific division team is how well they're set up to continue to succeed. Oh yeah. Because they have, they have one rookie in their entire roster right now. And that's, that's Alex took who isn't even like a true rookie. Like he played a few games with Minnesota, but they have all these guys that they drafted in the first round last year. Remind, and and you know, I believe they, they have 30 picks in the next three drafts. Right. It's, it's because, something because that was their whole like that. setup. Right right, 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 right. Because their whole setup was going to be, they weren't expecting to be this good, right? They were no, setting up no, to, no, no. to build through the draft because that's what you do. And then gradually four or five seasons down the line, all these guys develop and, and they're who you expect them to be. But what do you do when you're as good as you are in season one and you already set yourself up with a ton of first round picks going forward and you have all these guys that are still you know, waiting to come in and they're legit prospects. So, and their salary cap situation's not terrible for the next couple seasons. No, no, they're fine. Look, my point is this, is like when you look at that team top to bottom, um, they do not spell perennial cup contender or they do not show perennial cup contender to yeah, me. To, to, to me. Yeah. Like there are teams that win the cup, go to the final, where you're like, man, they'll be back because the way they're set up and everything. Now, Granted, should this continue, should William Carlson be a perennial 40-goal scorer, should Marc-Andre Fleury continue a complete renaissance of his career, should, I don't know, these kids that they drafted, just they hit on all of them, most of them, whatever, yeah, I could see them going deep every year. But it's just, it goes back to just my fascination. I'm completely fascinated with this situation. It is mind-boggling and reading twitter uh, reading news and all this stuff now you kind of hear people complaining about how well well what did you expect when um you know it was set up this way what do you expect when the nhl did everything which is so ridiculous and so like come on we like last episode we kind of went in on vegas a little bit because not because of the team just because of the way things were happening around the team which is not a big deal it's just fan stuff but point me to one expert writer blogger podcaster whoever point me to one that said no you know this team is watch out watch out for vegas i see western conference final in their future everyone had them 31 out of 31 they were laughing at them people were saying this is one of the worst teams ever assembled and then now when they have this type of success it's like well obviously look at look at the rules the nhl created for them to be it's it's stupid yeah no one was no one was complaining about those rules when we were drawing up like expansion draft possible rosters you know what i mean like no one was no one had them pegged to be this good when and i think i think 
fascinating is an inter- is a good word for it because it's a great case study i think for the rest of the teams in the league to maybe look at the rest of their players on their roster and think to themselves like man maybe the ninth worst person on my roster or the sixth forward or the fourth defenseman on my roster isn't nearly as bad as I think they are if I were willing to give them up right now for, say, another expansion draft in Seattle. Because clearly, under the right circumstances with the right coach, you can collect a team of second-line guys and second-pairing defensemen and build a successful team. I mean, you know, the one thing I will say is that, like, the other argument that they like to use, and, and this is kind of the rallying cry in the room for Vegas, is like, oh, no one wanted us. We were the throwaway players. Make no mistake that like, if NHL teams had an option, they would not give up these guys in most situations. I will say that doesn't necessarily apply to maybe Marcheseau and Smith because Florida went out of their way to trade away those guys. And you know Minnesota went out of their way to get rid of Alex Took and Eric Halla over anyone else. So maybe that's a more unique situation. But like, say from the Kings perspective, I don't think the Kings were looking to like lose McNabb. I mean, they I, they would have very happily kept McNabb, especially if you look at what their roster was now. So it's not it's not a throwaway situation. It's not a matter of like we didn't want you. The, the Kings also had Marion Gabrick and Dustin Brown put up as players that Vegas could have taken. And they didn't, thankfully. I can't even imagine what what kind of a season Dustin Brown would have had on the Knights. But, you know, that was a guy that we were all hoping he would that they would take right. to provide a salary cap relief and whatnot. And name one Kings fan now who's looking at Dustin Brown and going, God, I wish Vegas had taken him. You know what I mean? Like, so it's it's I I, I, I don't like that argument. I don't like that idea of like you guys threw these guys away. You didn't want them. no. That's not how we were forced to give these guys away because that's what an expansion draft is. If you had told us like prior expansion drafts that we could protect 14 players or something like that, then guess what? You would get, you know, Kevin Gravel from us. You wouldn't get McNabb or you wouldn't even have the option of getting Brown or Gabrick or any of these guys who are actually named players. No, absolutely right. Absolutely right. It's, it's, um, yeah, both things we just covered, um, absolutely factual and absolutely irritating in a lot of ways Um, yes the thing with vegas the team their team their coaching staff they've earned it you know i'm not gonna sit here and badmouth the team or the players and say like they fluked their way or whatever even though earlier i might have suggested the thing is they are playing well right they're playing winnipeg right now um i think game three is going to start in a little while here uh, and the the series is tied one one, and there it's, it's going to be a long series most likely because they deserve to be there and they are in it. Now, when we say nightmare territory, let's just clarify a few things here. We don't want the Knights to win. Uh, we, this is strictly from a Pacific yes. Division rival standpoint. This is strictly from just because we feel like nothing is making sense, and it would you know maybe make a little sense if they get eliminated at some point. Whatever. We are rooting against the Vegas Golden Knights here. Part of it is because of what we talked about last episode. Part of it is because of our loyalty to the Kings. Part of it is because we want the world to make sense again. Whatever the case <laughs> may be. But I have to say, man, the crazy thing about the playoffs right now is that Vegas seems like the team of destiny. But so does Washington and, and kind of so does Winnipeg, right? When you watch them, the way they've 
grown as teams. They, all these teams have taken steps here, you know, which is crazy right. to say for a team like Washington, who's had that core for like a decade now. Uh, but Winnipeg, obviously, I don't think anyone really thought they would have a shot at the cup before the season. I think we said they'd be. I think at, you had them doing pretty well, but pretty well. But I again, I said they'd make the playoffs. But I certainly. I thought this would just be a step in the right direction for them. And then maybe two, three years down the line, they challenge for the cup. So there's a lot of growth yeah. going on. Um, and it's crazy, man. All, those three teams seem like they're destined to win. Tampa, I don't know anymore. <laughs> Tampa was my pick to win the cup. Um, their series is two to one. Uh, they were getting beat up in the first two games and they won, stole one on the road. So, it's a very interesting final four. Uh, probably the most interesting it's been in a long time because for the first time since like 2010, the Stanley Cup will go to someone not residing or a team not residing in Boston, Chicago, Los Angeles, or Pittsburgh. Yeah. It's and pretty I think, crazy. I think – so it's funny. You know, you look at these final four teams and um, Tampa has the least interesting storyline out of all of them. Right. I think that's that's really what it comes down to. What's Tampa's storyline? Uh, Steve Eiserman's their GM. They were in the cup finals a couple seasons ago. Now they're back with a better team. You know what I mean? There's there's no there's no other background to that. Right. It's, th- these aren't the same guys who won the cup in 2004 making one last gasp for it. This team is long beyond Vinny LeCavalier and Brad Richards and Martin St. Louis, which, by the way, going back to a topic of discussion for last week about another cup winning team that didn't blow up its core until the wheels had fallen off the wagon. There's another example for you. Um, so I think Tampa has the least backstory versus like Washington, a long suffering fan base with, I'm, I'm going to go out and say this probably by the end of his, his illustrious career, most likely the greatest goal scorer in the history of the game, I think, in terms of just pure, unadulterated goal scoring ability. If you have an argument against Alex Ovechkin being that guy, I'll hear out, you know, Mike Bossy, stuff like that. Guys like that, I'll agree. But I think Ovechkin is going to be the the upper echelon once it's all said and done. And you talk about the season that they had a couple, you know, uh, two seasons ago or one season ago when Pittsburgh eliminated them again, and they were just completely disillusioned and had no idea what was going to happen. And everyone was just having talks of like, man, maybe we need to go in a different direction. Maybe it's got to be without Ovechkin or without Backstrom, without these guys. And, and they just kind of, you know, let the dust settle, came back at it. And now they're back and they're, they've done better than they've ever done. When no one really had them pegged going this far, I I certainly thought that Pittsburgh was going to eliminate them again. That's just kind of been their history. And so maybe just you want to talk about a good storyline. That's a great storyline right there, man. That's a team that's been struggling. That's a team that's been trying to get to the top of the mountain and built the right way and drafted the right players and kept coming at it and kept coming at it. And they had good coaches. They changed good coaches to different coaches. I mean, they've tried at it every which way possible and they haven't been able to break through with again a couple world-class players on their roster so yeah if if washington you know made it to the cup finals or won the cup i would be extremely happy for them i'd be extremely happy for their players i would be extremely happy for that fan base because i feel like they have earned it they have waited their lives they have played their careers and they've come at it every which way possible and they have earned it 
Winnipeg's the same way. Winnipeg is a team that got moved from Atlanta, went through tons of player changes, moved to a city that had been starving for a franchise since the Jets moved, you know, initially. And they built a fan base. They had the smallest arena in the NHL. They packed it every single night. It's the longest travel distance. They have to go way up north in Canada to kind of get there. And it's a team that's mostly made up of American players if you look at their roster makeup. And yet everyone, all of Canada is behind this team right now because of how well they're doing. And because Canada hasn't won a Stanley Cup since 93 when some stupid team beat a fantastic team to win that cup. And we won't speak of the details of that situation, but these are great storylines. And so when I look at it in that sense, and I kind of compare that to the Vegas storyline of like, quote unquote, throwaway players and how everything kind of started there with the tragic shooting just around the time when that team started playing and how well they've been doing and being an expansion team, et cetera. I think that's a great storyline. But I don't think that's enough for me to feel that they necessarily deserve to win a cup over Winnipeg or Washington. I think if you win a cup in your very first season as a team, where where does that leave you? Honestly, where does that leave your fan base? To me, it was much sweeter to have the Kings win a cup after having seen them get their not make it step back, you know. You you build with them. You build that relationship with them, and it's when they finally break through that you appreciate that. If I was a first-time hockey fan in Vegas and they won the cup, I mean, where do where do you go from there? Or you know, what is your expectation of this team going forward? Is it cup or bust every season? You you have no idea what this game entails. You just think it, man. Hockey's easy. Why doesn't everyone win the cup? You know, like that doesn't. I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm in the minority in that discussion. But uh, Greg Wyshynski had an article on that, too, on ESPN, you know, just kind of discussing that, like, this is great. It's gotten people interested in Vegas in the nights. But if they win the cup, it's like, I don't know, it leaves it leaves a very odd impression, I think, on the rest of the team and for the rest of the, the fan base kind of going forward in my mind. It is an interesting question whether winning the Stanley Cup for them in their first year is actually, this is going to sound stupid, but more detrimental than helpful in their attempts to grow the game in Las Vegas, in in their attempts to build a relationship with their fan base, a long-term relationship with ups and downs. Now, it's a foolish thing to say because I just repeated it in my head, but you have to consider this, that Vegas is a town where you have a lot of options. A lot of options to do a lot of things and if you've seen you know if you if you've seen the top of the mountain already on your first try will you go back to see that same show again if you know how this movie ends and it's the best ending of a movie you've ever seen it's uh, the only ending you've ever seen (laughs) is this the only ending you've ever seen will you see it again you know will you pay to to go through that same thing it's silly again of course as a king's fan I would pay to see them win another Stanley Cup. We've seen it two ways. The two most polarizing opposite ways a team can win the Stanley Cup. We've seen it. Um, but, granted, but you also appreciated it more because they course. lost so many times. Of course. because that's, that's what I'm trying to say. Whatever To me, the 2014 Cup was great. But, man, it didn't feel anything like the 2012 Cup. Of course The not. 2012 Cup felt like the weight of a mountain had been lifted off of my shoulders. I can't even imagine what it felt like for guys who actually had been, you know, part of that team as players, as, you know, front office guys, as back, you know, chamber dudes for their entire lives. A guy like Bob Miller. I mean, come on, man. Yeah. There's a lot of, right. There's a lot of threads, right? There's a lot of threads going in that 
tapestry of the king's history and all that. Right. And that's and that's really where the the difference is. What I I mean, I don't know if you're suggesting that they haven't earned it. If I mean the players have earned it, okay? Like uh, to me, the players mm-hmm. have earned it. I have no issue with them. I have no issue with you know their coaching staff, Gerard Gallant. He's been around the game. I mean, as long as we've been alive, you know, he's been a part of the game as long as we've been watching hockey. So, again, no issue with him. Maybe a little issue with George McPhee being so close to this thing, given just some of the awful decisions he's made throughout his managing career. But I'm going to say it, man. The players have earned it, right? The players have earned the right. But I do understand, and this is maybe a little pretentious, whatever you want to call it. We're fans, and sometimes we make our own rules in our head, like, Sometimes we say, no, you should, you know, go through tough times before you can have that moment that you've been waiting for. Because we're storytellers, right? In the end, we like the story. We we just went through all the stories of all the teams. So it, it's dicey, man. It's tough for me to say that it's like, well, the players deserve it, but the fans don't. You know, it's it, – it, when you break it down, it sounds really petty, right? You almost want to be like, ah, that's not really what I'm saying, but – I'm just I, – I feel like there's other teams that are in it that deserve it more. Absolutely. I don't think that makes sense. Any, it makes perfect sense. Look at I'll, I'll put it to you this way, OK? If instead of playing Winnipeg, they were playing Chicago on one side and on the east it was Tampa Bay and Boston, I would honestly say, OK, go for it, Vegas. Do right, it. Right. Prove all of these other teams wrong. I don't care. But in my mind, I can't look at it and be like, come on, man. Winnipeg, Washington, these other teams are in there. That's that's where I'm coming from. I could like if you put it up to Washington versus I mean, if you put it like Chicago versus Vegas, can you honestly tell me you would cheer for Chicago over Vegas? It's tough, tough for me to say that I would. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> It's again, the whole there's a whole other thing going on. They beat the Kings in four games. Uh um, Sure. Their writers, their media, some of their fans, you know, squatted down and relieved themselves on the remains of the Kings, <laughs> essentially. So there is, you know, that drew my ire, obviously. So I am a little biased now. And I am kind of saying, you know, let them lose so those guys learn their, which is, again, petty, petty fan stuff, but that's what we are. But again, if I break it down, no, yeah, Vegas versus Chicago. I would want Vegas to win because it is the better story. And I love stories. I love narratives like that. Uh, That's what makes sports so great. I mean, pick your greatest sports moment. I promise you there is a wonderful story wrapped around it Um, in any sport all across the board. So in that respect, yeah, I go Vegas over Chicago. But in this respect, the Ovechkin story for me overpowers all these stories. Uh, It overpowers Winnipeg as great as their stories to lose your team, to have your team back. That's a long-suffering fan base too. They had great teams in the 80s, but unfortunately, every season, every playoffs, they had to meet the Oilers, and the Oilers just smacked them around, you know? Every year you thought it was the Jets' year, Dale Harouchuk was on fire. No, Wayne Gretzky and the Edmonton Oilers were waiting for them, and they just never, ever got past them. So that's another great story. Um, Like you said, Tampa, eh, not, not the greatest, most riveting story but i'm sure if if you dig deep there is a story there you know with steve eiserman and all this you could find something there um so yeah i'm all about stories and and i cannot deny that vegas would be a tremendous story uh mike i guess if anything my concern is how does that change the nhl moving forward in terms of many things uh number one being how 
teams will start building uh, their own rosters because we know this is kind of a copycat league. You know, we've seen that for a long time. Um, when the King, when the Kings and Bruins were at the top of their game, people were like, "No, this is a heavy league. This is a heavy league. You need size. You need strength. You need to uh, possess the puck and basically." destroy your opponent death by a thousand cuts that's how this league is and then chicago won and then pittsburgh won and everyone's like no this is a speed league this is a this is a league where you need speed on all four lines you don't need uh in pittsburgh's case you don't need the best defense all you need is guys who can move the puck this so what is it now are our gms gonna go in the summer and be like all right guys here's what we need to do anyone who's making over eight million dollars we trade them uh, we just have all these second or middle nine forwards. Let's let's just rock them as long as they can skate. We'll go to the final. Yeah, maybe maybe that's what it is, man. Maybe it's transitioning into kind of a money puck league where, you know, you've got value forwards or undervalued forwards from other teams, guys who aren't making ten million a year and aren't being nominated for year end awards. But if you have enough of them and you just keep coming wave after wave, which I think I think again. Um, I will say this for as well as that team is doing right now. I think the coaching has a lot to do with it. I think if you don't have the right coach, you know, coming up with the right strategy, using these guys to the best of their abilities, you don't have as much success as they do. So I think Gerard Gallant deserves all the credit in the world for how they're doing. Oh, and no, this he's going to win the Jack Adams. Yeah, this is absolutely the perfect storm. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. From the beginning, from the first day this team was announced – all the way till today, it has been the perfect storm for Vegas. Right. So I'm with you there. Yeah, because I think, you know, not to knock anyone, but the name that comes to mind in my head, I'm like, okay, if it was Todd McClellan coaching these guys, I don't think they'd be doing nearly as well. Todd McClellan's got a much better roster, I think, up and down in Edmonton. And, you know, they're kind of not really sure where they're going from one season to the next. So I think a lot of things have gone right for them. And a lot of that's been luck and a good amount of that has been finding these guys who maybe weren't valued properly by their other teams. Um, and I, I don't know. I, I really don't know how it's going to change. But I look at a team like Carolina now, which is the one that is is kind of closest to really doing a huge makeover, maybe not blowing it up. But depending on who you listen to, they might be blowing it up. Um and they've got a new owner who's a bit more hands-on and has a particular idea of what he wants to do. And that may involve cutting, you know, roster dollars and stuff like that. Mike, I think that's the type of guy who steps in and looks at Vegas and goes, hey, if they could do it that way, why not us? Because he hasn't been in the game. He has no idea. He's got money and he's looking to put a decent team out on the ice and not put too much money towards it. And so I think maybe that's a team that looks at their forwards and looks at their players and – builds kind of this middle of the road team that is just going to be trying to play like Vegas in a lot of ways. I just, I don't see every other team remodeling it. Like I don't see teams like, you know, Phoenix who have been building a certain way, suddenly change gears and try and go a different way. I think a lot of these teams who haven't been very good for, for the last few seasons have already been drafting players who could essentially fit into that Vegas mold fast, maybe a little undersized skilled players. That's kind of been the direction that that the league has been going the last few seasons. Anyway, I think maybe the only thing that Vegas really makes teams kind of reconsider is 
is our third line guy really a third line guy or should he maybe be a second line guy and we just haven't been giving him the right ice time and the opportunity to do that like do we have the next William Carlson sitting in our in our roster somewhere and we haven't been putting him in the right situation and we think he's undervalued and we you know we throw him away for a bag of pucks and he ends up being a 90 point scorer somewhere else you know I think that's the big change you're going to see so I agree with you I think you're going to see more players get more opportunities at the NHL level. I think you're going to see long t- longer-term looks at guys that maybe you never considered giving them a look. Um, like, I think, this is just an example, but I think had, you know, Michael Mersch been, I don't know, in the King system starting next year with all the mm-hmm. success from Vegas, I think he gets m- way more opportunities on the Kings than he has right now. Now, granted, that player that I just mentioned maybe isn't the best skater and all that, but that's not the point. My point is the Kings would now be more motivated to take a look at exactly what they have, a real evaluation of the player that they have. Because again, you look at the guys on Vegas, they were all written off and it begs the question, how many players like that have come and gone in the national hockey league's history that could have been impact players, you know, a William Carlson. And you could say, no, you know, that's impossible. William Carlson would have scored 40 goals at some point, at some point when he got that opportunity. But the point is that some guys never get the opportunity, and they might right. be a good 20, 25 goal scorer. They might have a game that translate well, translates well in the NHL versus, let's say, the AHL, things like that. So it, it, it's crazy, man. And, and that's why the story is probably never going to go away, you know, even if they don't win the Stanley Cup. There will there is going to be some change in the way managers think. There is going to be some change in the way that people view rosters, view players, what they have, because the talent gap is getting smaller and smaller every season, with or without this Vegas story. The high-end players and what you would consider a low-end player, the gap between them is shrinking, and it has been shrinking for a long time. You know, the worst player on your team is not you know, light years behind the best player on your team anymore. Right. And I think teams are being built differently now than they certainly were in the eighties, nineties, et cetera. You know, you felt like you had to have a balance at those times. You had to have like your heavy hitting guys. You had to have your defensive defensemen. You had to have your superstars. Like it was, it was, it was like video game hockey where everyone's got like a different role. And if you, you have to have like a nice balance on every line in order for you to maximize their ability. But I think now it's become pretty clear, especially with some of the newer rules implemented every year to increase the flow of the game, increase uh, power plays and things of that nature, that the most important thing is skating and ability. You got to be able to play. There's there's no more role for a guy who's just an enforcer and a heavy hitter. If that guy's not putting up points, isn't skating, doesn't know how to be where he needs to be positionally and isn't contributing on the score sheet, that guy's not going to play in the league anymore. So that's why I think that's shrunk the talent gap a lot is because you're you're seeing a lot of these guys drafted now who have ability that you can't necessarily teach and are lacking in other teachable areas. And they're getting drafted later on in the rounds too. You know, like you're getting sixth round picks and stuff like that, that are just blazing fast skaters who maybe just can't finish or something like that. You know, I, I think, you know, to, to our, to the point you made about guys, maybe getting a longer look, um, Adrian Kempe comes to mind because, I think Kempe was a guy that was kind of being bounced around for a couple seasons. Uh, and granted, he's young, and but 
if you looked at like the scoring in the AHL, he wasn't leading he wasn't leading Ontario in scoring when the Kings brought him up. He wasn't even close. He, you know, like there was a question of whether his game would translate to the level, whether he was actually ever going to make good on his potential, or if he was just a flashy guy who just couldn't finish. And the Kings brought him up and he did admirably, and he's never going to play a minor league game again. It's just, and he's going to get every possibility now to kind of break out and keep maximizing and become a better player, which I think now you're, you're seeing that even as he plays in the world championships now, you know, like he got selected the Sweden's roster and is doing very well there. And we fully expect him to keep going with that. Um, to build a little bit on that point again, about like giving guys longer looks. If you think back to the history of the league, there's actually been even, even over the last few years, there's been guys that, you know, tend to, all of a sudden peak at a later point in their career. And the question is, Oh, well, what happened? They finally found their game. It's like, well, no, they they've, they've been playing this game. They just weren't given the chance to play it in the right situation. Marty St. Louis, a great example of a guy who late in his career became an absolute superstar player, won two art us trophies, won a cup and was an extremely valued member of the lightning. And, and until, you know, basically he got traded to the Rangers way late in his career. And that's a guy who was undersized and was probably told his entire career that he would never be able to make it in the league, much less be the kind of player that he was. Uh, Danny Briere, another guy who like later in his career got bounced around a couple teams and then finally found a spot in Buffalo and became a great player. So I think there's been guys like that, but they've been the exception and not the norm. And somehow they've never really stood out in people's minds as like, man, maybe we should be giving these guys a longer look and giving them more chance to be who they are naturally, as opposed to constantly trying to filter them into a role that we seem to need for our team. I think that's what Vegas does with their team, with their players right now. They're not trying to fit square pegs in the round holes and have a third line. That's a checking line, a fourth line. That's a bunch of grinders. I think their got their role is like, you guys can all skate. You guys have played long enough, go out there and play the best of your abilities. And we'll, we'll build a team out of that. No, agreed. Um, who wins the cup Vardy? I don't even know anymore. I honestly don't know. Like every every game I watch, I'm like, this is the one. This is the team. But um, I will I will say this while you ponder that. Um, they all have to me like the same. It's like 25, 25, 25 all yeah, the way. Yeah, honestly, like, I don't know. It's that's how. That's what I love about hockey. You know, as much as we you know just cried over spilled milk over Vegas being good. The fact that no one could have predicted it, the fact that no one could have called Washington being, you know, six wins away from the cup, the fact that, you know, Winnipeg, like we said, yes, we thought they'd make the playoffs, but we, I don't think, ever imagined they would be close to the Stanley Cup final. That's why hockey is, to me, and the Stanley Cup playoffs, to me, is the best tournament in all of sports. Because, like basketball, right? Uh, not to yeah. not to yeah. go into what's going on in the NBA right now, but the teams that are there are the teams that you probably thought would be there at yep. this at this juncture. No surprises. If I had to pick, uh, initially I picked Tampa winning the cup, um, but man, the, the other three teams, like I said, they seems like they have destiny on their side. Something's on their side, like angels in the outfield or something. Something's going on. <laughs> um, in my heart, I want it to be Washington. And I think Washington's going to do it. 
this season. They're just they're clicking on some kind of other level, man. Nicholas Backstrom isn't even in the lineup. I know. That's I know. You know, and they're just they're looking real good. They lost the last game, but there is something in the water in Washington right now, uh, and it's doing them a lot of good. Yeah, I think I think I I want to believe that. I want to believe that this is that this is going to be the year for the Capitals. I just I really don't know. I think it's uh, every yeah. game my opinion shifts. Uh, so I, every prediction I've made pretty much thus far has been incorrect. So uh, throw in another yeah, one, maybe. buddy. Winnipeg. All right. How's that? How's that? Hey, is man. Is that good? That's <laughs> that's just as reasonable as my pick, and <laughs> just as reasonable as anyone's pick at this point. Yeah. Um, yeah the sound you hear is brackets busting all over north america because <laughs> i don't know how many people had at least three of these four teams in the final four i think a lot of people had tampa but the other three yeah all right let's talk this is a king's podcast guys we're gonna talk some king's hockey all right let's or, do it or king's non-hockey as it were uh <laughs> drew king's dowdy hockey yeah drew dowdy nominated for the norris andre kopitar nominated for the heart um how surprised or not surprised were you at Dowdy's uh, versus Kopitar's? Uh, I I think I had Dowdy being nominated for the Norris probably about like halfway through the season, just because he was playing such a great, consistent game uh, throughout the season. And then once the Kings managed to make the playoffs, that's usually in the mind of voters. That's that's kind of a non-starter. I think for a lot of these award nominations, it's like if you can't, if your team doesn't make the playoffs rightly or wrongly as that may be, I feel like people just don't really get nominated all that often. Um, so about halfway through the season, I think it was pretty clear that Drew was having the type of season that he should have been in the top three um, for for the award. So I, I think that's um, I think that's very very reasonable and. Um, I don't know. I, I would almost say he's the favorite to win it in my mind between the three, you know, between, uh, is it Subban and, um, oh God, I'm blanking right now. It's not Hedman. It is, is Hedman. It? Yeah, it is Hedman. Yeah. So I, I don't know, man. It, I think that comes down to, to, to Dewey and Hedman in my mind. I think Subban. So yeah. Yeah. I think, I think too many of the voters have kind of this impression of Subban as, as not being as defensively sound. And I think he's got a much better supporting cast on the defense of Nashville. So that's, <laughs> I think that's going to uh, rob him sorry, of a few that was votes. A, that was an understatement. If understatement? I ever, yeah, my bad. If I ever heard no, no, it's my fine. bad. It's good. So it's maybe, good. maybe it might be a little bit of like East coast versus West coast, uh, bias or watching ability between Hedman and Dowdy. Um, but the Kopey one, that one actually Ooh, surprised boy. me, man. That one, that one, honestly, all three of the nominees, like not, not that all three of them are nominated, but just that those are the three guys. I think I would have expected one of those three to be nominated simply because numbers are such an important part of the nomination for the heart. And, you know, when you got, you got three guys who weren't, and you weren't leading necessarily in scoring the whole McDavid argument with again, not making the playoffs. I think that's pretty much what kept him out of the, the voting there. Um, but it was, I was very impressed. I got to say, I was very impressed with how it shook out. And I think all three of those guys, you can make a very legitimate argument that they are the most valuable player to their team. And that without those guys, that 
their team is um, in dire, dire straits. Um, we talked about a few episodes back about uh, the similarities between Kopi and Taylor Hall's situation in terms of secondary scoring coming from their team and or lack thereof, if you will. Um, and so I think if you're looking at it from that perspective, in my mind, I think those two should be the ones that you consider not to take anything away from McKinnon and the great end of the season he had in helping Colorado make the playoffs. But, you know, McKinnon had guys like uh, Landis Cog and um, Ranton um, Ranton had Ranton. a terrific season. Exactly. So, I mean, that's that to me is what stands out is, you know, you, you had guys, maybe they were benefiting from playing with McKinnon, but the fact is that they had other guys who were in the top 20 of NHL scoring with them. Taylor Hall and Kopi had basically no help secondary wise beyond, you know, the next guy who was like 30 points below them in the season scoring. Um, no, absolutely. Um, I was, uh, I was shocked, uh, straight up. I was shocked. Pleasantly. And, yeah. Pleasantly. Cause I think it was two episodes ago when we both basically flat out said he will not be there in the end as a nominee. We were just so convinced that he would not. And it's maybe it's just, a historical thing where the last king to have that kind of nomination was like Wayne Gretzky in 1990 right. something uh, and we just haven't been used to it and you could throw in all this west coast bias stuff all that stuff in there too maybe valid maybe not but i really thought that he would not be there i thought he was he's a lock for the cell i mean you cannot give the selkie to anyone else as far as i'm concerned i'm sorry to 100%. the other not like if he doesn't win the selkie it's a travesty how can you be nominated how can you be the only selkie nominee as a hard finalist and not win the trophy it's almost like it's almost like it's predetermined right right um no but i was very surprised thrilled Uh, a lot of crying about Giroux, a lot of crying about mcdavid um but again if you just read what the award is supposed to be if you read the criteria if you read everything that makes that award he is absolutely a nominee for that. No question about right. it. Yeah, and I don't, I don't think that you can, I don't even get the idea this, the whining about like, Oh, they didn't, you know, these guys didn't, didn't deserve to be nominated when McDavid and Giroux outscored them or whatever. Cause it, it's not about scoring, right? There's a scoring title. The, the award is meant to be the person who's the most valuable player to their team. And, not to say that Giroux and McDavid are not valuable to their team, but can you honestly tell me that like you look at how Kopitar and Hall and McKinnon did for their teams and that they don't even belong in this conversation? Like it's it's such an insult that they that – I mean the, the, Kopi is the most balanced player in the top 10 scoring uh, in the NHL bar none. In every aspect of the game, the guy is present. He's playing in penalty kills. He's playing in power plays. He's putting up more ice time than anyone. He's taking more draws than anyone. I mean, he he is present in every facet of the Kings game. And if you take him away, it's not you don't just impact the offense. You impact the entire makeup of that team in every possible defensive situation. And so, yeah. When you look at it that way, he is absolutely the most valuable player in the league. Yeah, in my mind. Think about it. If you take okay, the Oilers were twenty third best team in the league. Um, 
you remove Connor McDavid from them, what's going to happen? They're going to become the thirtieth right. worst, ter- the thirty first right. worst team in the league. You know, I mean, that's what it comes down to. Uh, this season, anyway, you took you take McDavid off the Oilers. It's not like anything really changes, except they're they're in the lottery, um, which yeah. they're very familiar with. So that's pretty much what it is. Now, Giroux's case, yes, it's a little different, but his support staff. I think you mentioned that it was just completely different, right? I mean, right. between Voracek and Couturier alone, you know, you had basically a three-headed monster there working there. Uh, this season so yeah it's if you're nitpicking at it it's it's basically you just want your guy to be there that's the bottom yeah. line you're a flyers fan drew's your guy it's like he should be there why is he there uh, and granted this is not the first season that kopitar's been this valuable to the kings uh, i don't think we've ever as kings fans even entertained the thought of him being a most valuable player nominee uh much less winning the award you know which by the way i don't think he's winning uh for the record but then again i wouldn't think he was nominated so yeah i I really don't know um if i had to pick right now i say taylor hall's gonna win the heart and that's that's my thought too yeah and it's really gonna break the hearts of oilers fans everywhere (laughs) yeah which i'm okay with because the (laughs) oilers are a completely mismanaged franchise in so many ways and that's okay by me but hey, I don't care. Don't say I, that, man. I, they, they, you know what they're going to say? Four cups in the 80s when oh most God. of the fan base wasn't born. Yeah, that's, that's what matters. That's what, if, I'm, if I'm still – here's the thing. If I'm still <laughs> bragging about the Kings winning cups 20 years from now, I, there's something <laughs> wrong with me. Okay? It's you know, okay to be proud of them, but to still hold that up as like some sort of a beacon of excellence when you've been gutter trap cleaners for, you know – the last 10 years yeah no that doesn't that doesn't fly anymore but, but in my mind you know what's crazy it's not just the fan base it's the team the team is holding on for dear life every but like, that's the problem their entire <laughs> i think their entire development staff is like the 1983 cup winning team at this point yeah it's and they will never they will never let an opportunity go to remind you of those cups right there i think there's been seven ceremonies in the last three seasons about those cup winning teams i get it man it was probably likely the greatest team ever assembled in the nhl but holy crap every six months every three months whatever we have to be reminded in a long and painful way trotting out i I believe at one point they trotted out every single oiler who won a cup in those in the 80s you know it's it's time to let it go, guys. Let it go. Stop making Paul Coffey in charge of whatever or Grant Fuhr. McTavish and Lowe got you in this mess in the first place. Let it go. Let them be. Move on. Uh, I'm tired of hearing about it. Uh, the highlights will live on on YouTube. Don't worry. No one's going to forget. Just stop. Stop and move on. I know you're not listening to me, Oilers people. And this is coming from a guy who's about as big a Gretzky mark as you're going to find in the I entire a, like, I am world. a Gretzky apologist. You know... He is the greatest goal scorer in NHL history, Barty, not Ovechkin. Sorry. <laughs> we'll argue about this off air. Fine. Fine. Um, but no, I, I, here's the thing. I'm, I am more than happy that he's even nominated. I am extremely happy that he's getting the recognition that he so rightly deserves for not only having a bounce back season, 
but for putting up career highs in numbers and remaining an incredibly defensive, responsible player and really owning up to a role as a captain that was kind of forced upon him in not the greatest of circumstances. I think he has, he has been above and beyond the type of player that they hoped he would be. And to be nominated for the heart, to be acknowledged by the league as not just a great defensive center, but as just a fantastic overall all-around player who's been able to step his game up to the level that he deserves league-wide recognition as not just defensive center or center or anything, but as a player, period, end. I think that is fantastic and i appreciate that they have even done that and i think he's the same way i don't think he's gonna sit there and like be pissed if he doesn't win the heart i think he'd be more pissed if he doesn't win the selkie if kopi has that capability of getting pissed at anything (laughs) but i think i think he's he has done everything in the world to earn the selkie this year and he deserves that award probably i think that's that's what he hangs his hat on I think that's the one that he would be really upset if he didn't get. But if he doesn't win MVP, it doesn't matter. I think being nominated, being considered one of the three most valuable players in the league is is such a is such a credit to him that that in and of itself makes me happy. I'm with you. I'm with you. I mean, I this is already we're already in bonus time for me, you know what I mean? I mean this is already yeah. just Everything from his nomination on is just icing on the cake. So, yeah, uh, good luck to Kopi in Vegas, Drew. It's might not need luck. Uh, he's had a yeah. pretty good. He has, he's had a pretty good season here. One thing I did want to touch on, Vardy, you brought this to my attention, is the Bob McKenzie report on the Hurricanes. You spoke about the mm-hmm. Hurricanes a little while ago. Um, so we're going to expand on that. Is that, and I quote: "Everybody except for Sebastian Aho is available." Skinner, you name it. Skinner is getting moved, I would think. I think Falk is very much in play. I think Skinner is very much in play. So that's um man, you don't really hear that very often. You don't the really wild times in Carolina, man. And I hope it's true because sometimes these GMs, owners, whatever, they say these things. Um we've seen in the last Try few to seasons. Drum up yeah, and nothing like we've been waiting for the Canadians to do anything at this point you know, to change their misfortunes and every season it's like changes are coming, but really all they did well, they is made Subban. Yeah, they one Subban bad trade Weber. for Shea Weber. And, and then that. they and then they picked up Druen, but they thought they were gonna be able to just do minor pieces. The one you know, the one that you keep hearing about gonna happen is gonna be Pacioretty, which I think might happen actually this offseason. But anyway, that's I, it, that's, it that's, has that's to, funny. I think for the sake of the player's sanity, um and for the sake of the fan sanity so that maybe they could get that GM fired and have a rearranging in management because they they do not like that management group in montreal and that is an understatement if i've ever used one i mean they are ready for heads to roll over there and it should man it absolutely should but i digress um so from carolina vardy obviously we've in our armchair gm sessions we have targeted jeff skinner as a great target for the la kings but there's a lot to work with there, man. And it's crazy to me that a, a kid like Noah Hannafin or Tavo Teravainen are now like chop right. liver to this ownership and this management. Yeah, I think, again, this comes back to having an owner who clearly fancies himself a bit more like 
what a cowboy? Jerry Jones from Damn. I mean maybe <laughs> actually yes <laughs> like one go. particular cowboy if you will Jerry <laughs> yeah. Jones uh to bring an NFL comparison in a guy who is you know notoriously hands-on with his team um and so I think he's coming in and he's looking to shake things up and there was rumors as to who you know who the coach would be and you know surprisingly he went with uh rod brindamore i think surprising not that, that rod brindamore is going to be a bad coach but yeah surprising in the sense that like you thought that this guy was going to reach way out in the thin air and pull out a name that you'd never heard of versus pick a guy who clearly has a, a big association with the hurricanes franchise and was one of their you know uh, assistant coaches and stuff so he kind of stayed in house for that one and then he went with don waddell as a gm of, of prior atlanta thrashers fame and who's made plenty of terrible roster decisions in his his history so I think and even the, the interviews that they had with Rod Brindamore just kind of talking about how his relationship is going to be with the new owner, you know, you can you can even hear it in his voice that he's like, oh, he'll, you know, he'll be there, we'll be involved and we'll work it out and, you know, he'll tell me if he doesn't like how I'm doing things, but I'll tell him how things need to be done. And I think that's a little bit of wishful thinking on Rod's part because this guy sounds like he's, he's going to be, you know, all over how this team is managed. And if it's not going the way that he wants it to go, he's going to make all sorts of strange decisions and start moving people left and right. Um, and clearly, uh, Bill Peters, who was their head coach from before, got out of a bad situation and landed into a better one being from, uh, Alberta and now being the whole, uh, head coach of the Calgary flames. And so I think, I think their owner's coming in and is looking to just revamp things left and right and make any changes possible for the sake of putting his own signature on this team and putting it in a way that he wants it to look. Um, so if I'm looking at that roster and I'm looking at it as a GM and I know that that's going on, yeah, I'm going to make phone calls and maybe this is him trying to drum up business and make it seem like people are, people are available when they aren't, but he's trying to get phone calls going. But yeah, there's, there's plenty to pick at from that roster, which which honestly played below expectations last year. They were tops in the league in terms of possession and everything that you would think of. I, I we still have scars in our mind from that one overtime game um, that the Kings played against them when they just had this shift where like for four minutes straight they had us hemmed in our zone, no joke, and. I, you know, you watch that team play, and you, you could not make sense as to why they were doing as poorly as they were. Yep, and the Kings ended up winning that game. If I'm not they mistaken, did. they did, <laughs> which is kind of which should have been a sign of the times, I guess, for for Carolina yeah. and how their season was going. Um, but it's funny, man. This owner seems like one of those guys who falls into a situation, and he just, you know, he made headlines by saying something like this and he, now he's just sitting by the phone and the first time it rings he's gonna look at the guy next to him and be like cool like this is right. how it is you know so you never know i don't that's why i'm not taking it totally seriously although i mean bob mckenzie's word is almost gospel at this point this this man is just he's become like the godfather of hockey reporting uh i don't think he's reported anything that's false uh, in at least a decade um but it will be interesting hey, man, to see if, what happens. If Jeff Skinner is available, you I think you make every effort yeah. possible to go after Jeff Skinner. Yep. The guy's 25. His age he's been fits. in this league forever, yeah. His and game he's still fits, 25. Totally. Yeah. Uh, now, what that might cost, I don't know. But if this guy is, you know, if this owner or whoever he's, you know, dictating whoever he's telling what right. he wants, if, if it's going to be a cheap 
you know buy if it's going to be a low return for skinner man you got to go you got to go for it all and although i doubt i highly doubt it'll be a low return by any means uh maybe a roster player prospect something like that but yeah you have to explore it um you have to at least give your best offer for him again because of his age uh the age is such an important factor he's 25 as you said uh he's he's right at the age where the kings need players right now the kings need a bunch of players at that age granted giving one away in let's say a tanner pearson would maybe seem like a lateral move but i think it's an upgrade in scoring should that you know be the deal I mean, they've got some great players on that team, man. Guys who just haven't quite peaked yet. If you look at their average age, it's seriously like 23, 24 years old. Guys like Elias Lindholm, um, Victor Rask on the defensive oh, yeah, side. Great dude, players. Jacob Slavin, Falk that they've already mentioned. Noah I mean, these Hannafin are guys who are, is Noah, like Noah Hannafin. Like, that's starting. not even a question. Even uh, Brett Pesci's a good player. Yeah. Um, no, they've got they've got guys, man. They they and really so, do. They really do. It seems like a very very curious time to do what they're doing, actually. Because really, the only older guys they have on this team are like Williams, you know, uh, Stepniak, even Jordan Stahl's like twenty nine. Let's not, yeah. you know, t- send him to the glue factory yet or anything. Derek <laughs> Ryan's like thirty one. You know, this is a young young team. I mean, I I don't understand. I don't understand it at all. It makes no sense. Like if imagine inheriting a team like this, you know it. You can't really ask for anything better. Just revamp your goaltending, and you could probably make a pretty solid run for it. You know, for the I playoffs. Mean, you want, again, you want to talk about a team that's, in my mind, really comparable to the roster that Vegas has. I look at this Carolina roster right now, and I'm like, this could easily be the Knights roster right, in terms of like right. the players that they have, and like maybe even more so. Like they they have more, I think, raw talent on this roster, short of the goaltending, like you mentioned, because Cam Ward, you know, is basically having legs fall off at this point, and Scott Darling wasn't what they hoped he would be. But end to end, this isn't an untalented roster. It's a middle of the road roster who can skate really well. So how come this team's doing so much? more poorly than Vegas did when they put up better possession stats, right? It's, it's, it's fluky. It is. Again, it's like, it felt like for a long time, Vegas was playing without a system. It felt like for a long time, Vegas was just feeling it out where Carolina came in with a very concrete structure. This is how we're going to play. This is how we're going to perform. Um, curious to see how this coach, uh, Bill Peters does in Calgary. They certainly can't that be worse. That scares me, man. It does. That because scares me. It, it reminds me of like Daryl Sutter, but a little more updated, mm-hmm. you know, and that is kind of scary uh, with that roster that Carolina has, or Calgary has, with that back end they have and puck possession being so important. And those guys can move the puck, man. We've said, I mean, we said it last offseason, but now <laughs> with this coach, they might really be able to do some damage. And it begs the question, how much, what is the Pacific going to look like? Again, we, we touched on this before, but it's going to be a crazy division next year again. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's not even, you know, discussing that they're, they're probably going to eventually bring in Seattle and put them in the Pacific as well. And then topsy turvy, uh, bro. Topsy turvy. Yeah. Yeah. Good uh, times. Another note. Uh, I read this earlier. Joel Thornton wants to return to San Jose. Um, curious uh he said he's willing to take another one-year deal i'm gonna go ahead and say it's not gonna be for one year one million sharks fans so don't hold your breath on that one 
But it's interesting because they do have to deal with Evander Kane. They do have to deal with Joe Thornton. Your brain tells you, go with, give that money to Evander Kane. It's the smart thing to do at this point. Jumbo missed almost the entire year or at least the significant amount of the season. That's back-to-back seasons with ligament injuries for him in his knee. It's probably time. But then there's the other side of it where this guy has been so loyal 13 years in San Jose, he wants to retire a shark. This is a Dean Lombardi moment, if I ever saw one, Vardy. Um, do you re-sign the guy, stay loyal, or do you go all in on Evander Keane? Obviously, ideally, you want to do both. But I just don't, yeah. see, I just don't see Thorne t- taking that much of a pay cut. Yeah, I, actually, you know, I'd be, I, I think I'm going I'm to disagree with you for the second time on one podcast. What I think is he actually going will- on? I it's wild times, dude. This whole off season is just really throwing me off. This whole Vegas thing. I'm not thinking straight. I think I think he does take a one year deal, specifically because of oh, the no, injuries no. and I said he's willing to take a one year deal. Oh no, I I think he'll take like a one year, one million oh, deal. Oh, you think honestly. so? Okay, okay. I think so. I think he will. Because I think he's at a different point in his career and he realizes that like he doesn't have much more left. And especially if it means that him taking less money means that they can re-sign Kane and it gives him a better shot of having a better team and maybe making one last gasp cup run at it with the Sharks, I think he does it for the sake of the team. Whether or not they keep Kane, who clearly fit in very well with the team and and liked being there and, and everything, I think that's a very realistic possibility. But then again, I thought the King signing Lucic was was going to be possible as well and that didn't end up happening so who knows how that'll shake out um let me ask you a question yes if you're rob blake would you sign joe thornton for one year three million dollars next year no wow just like that huh i I have no interest i just want to remind you that last summer we were down to give him one year six million dollars i agree that was last summer things change I think this roster has shown to me that they've got young guys coming in who could fill that role for much better and much cheaper than Joe Thornton. If Joe Thornton playing on the Kings means less time for Adrian Kempe or maybe a lack of a roster spot for Gabe Velarde, absolutely not. I have no interest in having him on the team. I agree I with you, by what the type way. Of... Oh, good. I do agree hey. with you. <laughs> no, no. I, I agree do. again. It, it's because of the situation the Kings are in. And what happened this season and the prospect of Velarde, absolutely, for those exact reasons you just said, I agree with you. However, let's put the Kings aside. I have a hard time believing that there will not be another team or five or ten that will give Joe Thornton one year at over $3 million. Now, he's he has enough money. I get it. He's played long enough. I assure you, he probably has enough money where he doesn't need it anymore. But... Sports. I think he walks around with a thousand dollars in his beard at all times. <laughs> probably his. He's probably insured his beard for like a million dollars at this point. Um, but a team, I don't know, Vegas, maybe I don't know. A, a team who has cap space, who's who wants someone who could play maybe in their top six, maybe top nine. They, I think they'll offer him. A year at three million maybe even more yeah uh, maybe even more if they value what he brings the question will come down to does joe thorn just want to stay here ride it out for the next whatever year or two and retire a shark yes I, I think he probably does um but it's still going to be interesting to see what he asks for because look man he could, i know you're saying he'll take one one times one for the sake of the team but at the same time 
he's been there for that team for a long time. And there's this whole other thing about it where it's like, hey, man, I've been here with you guys through all this shit. And, you know, all I'm asking for is three to four million dollars on a one year deal. And you know what? He he didn't do it last season when they could have kept Marlowe, too. Now that I think about it. Right. Like, wasn't that the wasn't that the hang up was that they weren't sure who was going to sign first. And then it's, it's possible. I can't remember if it was a cap issue or, or Marlowe really actually wanted a change of scenery. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, that's another factor that goes into it. Right. It's like he he took I think he's a, I think he's a business kind of guy. He's always struck me as a guy who's just like, hey, man, pay me my money. You know what I mean? Like, this is what I'm worth. It seems like he leveraged the Kings against the Sharks last summer, did it not? Oh, totally. Okay. Totally. So, so there is some savvy there in terms of like, it wasn't like, you know what, I'm not even going to entertain these other thoughts. You know, uh, we're at this point, the Sharks and I, where we'll just sit down, we'll come up with a number. No, he still had to go out and he still had to do his thing with his agent. So it's going to be interesting. Uh, I don't think it's written in stone uh, either way. Yeah. Yeah, it's... I think if I was the Sharks, granted they did better than the Kings did this season and, and you know, they got to a certain point and they swept the Ducks and whatnot, I I would be a little worried looking at the rest of the Pacific and kind of how things are shaking out and where where my roster's going. I mean, they've got guys like Donskoy and um Barkley Goudreau and all these other guys that are like in there, Botker who's been playing well, you know, doing okay. But I don't know if they have a step right in and be a replacement kind of guy for Thornton. I think Couture and Pavelski have been there for a while now playing with Thornton. So it's not like you expect one of those guys to step in and be Thornton right away. They've lost Marlowe and Thornton now in two seasons. And I, I really don't know if they have a direct replacement for them immediately uh, in the pipeline. So them and the Ducks, I think, are, are teams that are going to be struggling a bit in the next few years to transition yeah, I think Anaheim more so. Uh, it's just yeah. based on the fact that the Sharks went deep without Thornton, right? Uh, and well, deep second round. I mean, let's not let's not get crazier. Yeah. But they do have more pieces in play that are younger, and they are also coming off. I know it's been a couple of seasons now, but a, a deep Stanley Cup run, Stanley Cup right. final run a couple of seasons ago. So we'll see how we'll see how it shakes out, Vardy. But. Uh, is there anything else you would like to add to this celebration of our 21st episode or should we just, <laughs> just go get blackout drunk right now at the there's, prospect there's, of Vegas winning? There's only one thing that I want to throw out there and it's just – it's a little blurb that came up today is that um, Phoenix is discussing a, a eight-year deal with Ekman Larson. Eight times north eight? Of eight? Well, north of that probably is what they're going to have to pay him because I can't imagine there isn't a team out there willing to give him way more than that. And again, the only reason I bring this up is not because I don't think Drew Doughty is absolutely going to get more than Oliver Ekman Larson for obvious reasons. Yeah. Yeah. But I bring this up because if there's ever a player who you would imagine would jump on the opportunity (laughs) to leave their catastrophe of a team and go anywhere they want to, right? Like the world is their oyster now. All they got to do is sit on it for a year and then go to free agency and then they're just going to have people breaking down their door to, to get them out of this 
horrible team situation that they basically played their entire season, their entire career in. It's Oliver Ekman, Ekman Larson, right? And even he's discussing signing an eight-year, north of $8 million deal to stay with Phoenix. So if Oliver Ekman Larson is going to stay in Phoenix, to me, it makes it all the more likely that Drew Doughty is going to stay in L.A. If that kind of logic kind of carries in people's minds yeah not that it's a done deal but i i think earlier on in this podcast life i i think i mentioned to you that carlson and ekman larson i felt were both going to leave and that dowdy would be the only one of those big three to resign it seems like it's it's trending in uh the direction of resigning for ekman larson um still think carlson's gone i still think he is leaving that train wreck that is the ottawa sanders but hey just like uh, we just brought up, I could be wrong. Uh, yeah, weirder happened. things have happened, I suppose. Yeah, but that's all I got. That was that was the last thing I wanted to add. Yep, that's it for us, guys. This was episode twenty-one. We'll see you in a little while for twenty-two. We got some cool things in the pipeline. I think we're gonna try to do some other content for you without giving up away too much. Uh, you can find us on our website, bannermanpodcast.com. Our Twitter handle at the Bannerman Pod. You can find us on SoundCloud, on Stitcher, Android, iPhone, even on the good old fashioned internet, on Safari, if you have it. <laughs> subscribe. Internet Explorer. <laughs> yeah, subscribe, leave us a review. CompuServe. And we'll see you next time.